Hi, everybody. I'm Ray Otis. It's Tuesday, May 7th, 2019, and this is episode 67 of Plundergrounds, 10 foundational fantasy novels that I think everyone who plays adventure games should read in their lifetime. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. If you know me very well at all, you know that I care a lot about reading. Reading was a huge escape for me as a young person. I lived out in the middle of nowhere, and my closest friends were about a 15-minute bike ride away. (laughs) I was surrounded on three sides by cornfields and on the fourth side by a little forest. And I escaped into books a lot, and I still escape into books. I love to read. So I wanted to pick 10 novels that I felt like everybody who loves fantasy, everybody who loves adventure games should read in their lifetime. Now here's the rules for how I picked the books that I'm going to talk about. And I'm going to keep it fairly short because I don't want this podcast to go on forever. Um, There are going to be only 10 books. I've restricted myself to 10. They are single, self-contained books. I'm not going to recommend series. Um, The books might be part of a series, but even if they're part of a series, they have to be self-contained. So as an example, I could not recommend The Fellowship of the Ring because that's the first book in a trilogy. I'm not concerned with highly restrictive genre definitions. I want to pick books that are primarily fantasy, but they may have some science fiction elements in them or some horror elements in them. These are mostly books written before the 1980s. In fact, I think they are all books written before the 1980s. I wanted to pick books that influenced early game designers rather than the other way around. It's clear to me, as someone who started reading fantasy before Dungeons & Dragons, that Dungeons & Dragons changed fantasy forever. All of fantasy after the mid to late 70s is different. It was heavily influenced by this explosion of fantasy gaming, and it's a different thing. Not saying it's not good, because there are plenty of great fantasy books from the 80s going forward, but I'm going to restrict my choices here to early fantasy works. I am only going to talk about things that I've read, so there are some books out there uh, that I think probably would make the list, but I can't speak for them personally. So I'm going to recommend these books to you, and I need to know that I've read them. Most of these I've read multiple times. Um, I'm ignoring things like mythic fantasies, epic poems, fairy tales, and folklore. So I'm not going to put the Epic of Gilgamesh, the Odyssey, Beowulf, the Inferno, Lamor de Arthur, A Thousand and One Nights, The Fairy Queen, Grimm's Fairy Tales. None of those are going to go in my list. These are pure works of fantasy novels, uh, fantasy fiction. No anthologies, so I'm not going to recommend any books by multiple authors. Um, there are some books in here that are by one author that contain multiple stories, but so in that sense they're an anthology. But I won't uh, recommend. Uh, um, what's what is it? What's the big one that everybody reads that was edited by Andrew Offit? Uh, Swords, Swords against no Swords. Um, boy, I'm not going to be able to come up with it. But there are anthologies by multiple authors. And I'm not going to that are that are well worth your reading as uh, seminal fantasy works. But I'm not going to recommend those. Finally, I am going to present these in chronological publishing order, sort of. Um, I'm going by the earliest published story within a collection, not necessarily the book date. So uh, as an example, 
One of the the Conan book that I'm going to recommend is from 2002, but the first story in it is from 1932, so I'm slotting it in the order at 1932, not 2002. And uh, I'm numbering them only for convenience. There's no intended ranking of these. These are just 10 works that I think everyone should read. By the way, the book that I could not remember is Swords Against Darkness. It's confusing because of all the Fafford and the Grey Mouser books that are written uh, are titled Swords Against Something or Other. So I wasn't sure if I had that right in my mind. It was Swords Against Darkness, 1977, edited by Andrew Offit, has a story by Robert E. Howard, has a story by Paul Anderson, a bunch of other people. Good, good reading, but um, outside the realm of what I'm going to pick for here. Also, one other rule that I forgot to mention was that once I've picked a book by an author, I don't get another book by that author. So I would only pick one book by Robert E. Howard or one book by um, Clark Ashton Smith, for instance. So here we go. Number one, A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs, written in 1912. This is the last book I picked to add to my top ten, and it may be the most contentious because it feels very science fiction-y on its surface. But ultimately, it's a work of fantasy primarily. It's sword and planet fantasy. It's the first of the John Carter of Mars series in which uh, John Carter, a human from Earth, is transplanted onto the world of uh, Barsoom, which is the the uh, Martian name for Mars. (laughs) And he has heroic adventures there. His physique, which is developed by Earth's stronger gravity, puts him in good standing. The book is long on imagination and a little short on intelligent plotting. Most of the plot revolves around the titular Princess of Mars, who um, the main character pursues throughout the book, and, and honestly, throughout most of the books in the series. But along the way, you see all kinds of super cool creatures, great fight scenes, just high adventure galore, and I really think it set the bar for future fantasy. So, number one, A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs, 1912. Like most of the books in this list, by the way, I still find A Princess of Mars great reading. I would pick it up and read it just about any time. It's a, it's a joy to, to pick up and read. It uh, has some problematic elements from our modern sensibilities, but Realizing it was written in 1912, I think you can perhaps forgive that. There's nothing super overtly gross in the novel um, uh, in, along those lines. Uh, just just a great work of fantasy. Number two, Zafik by Clark Ashton Smith. This volume was published in 1970, but it's a collection of stories from the 30s. In fact, Clark Ashton Smith did almost all of his serious fiction writing in that single decade of the 30s. The first story, or the oldest story in this collection, is Empire of the Necromancers from 1932. Like Robert E. Howard, he was a pen pal of H.P. Lovecraft. And I'm going to just spoil right now that I actually left H.P. Lovecraft's work out of these top ten. I think of Lovecraft primarily as a horror writer, although much of his work really goes into the fantasy realm. If I were going to include him, I probably would have included something from his dream cycle, but I don't really think that's his strongest work. Uh, So it was a little problematic for me. If you think Lovecraft belongs in this list, tell me which work you would have picked. I'll happily add it as an honorary 11th. I think he's amazing. I, I love to read Lovecraft. But he's sort of in this list in two ways because he 
influenced heavily a couple of the writers in here, um, and the authors at, at Slots 2 and 3 were both people who had uh, ongoing correspondences with Lovecraft, and I believe there's also one later in the list. So just kind of spoiling that ahead of time. Uh, this is the largest cycle of stories written by Clark Ashton Smith. He wrote in a number of different worlds, but Zothique was the one he returned to the most often. It's in the dying earth genre, so it's set in the far, far future. It's filled with colorful, often archaic language, and incredible, unparalleled, fantastic imagery. If you've never read Clark Ashton Smith, you really need to pick up his uh, one of his books and read it. He is uh, just so delightful from a purely uh, imagination standpoint. Yes, his language is a little dated. It's a little bit not Shakespearean, but it's a little bit like picking up Shakespeare in the sense that it's not uh, written to a modern cadence. It's lyrical, it's poetic, it's um, obtuse in places. And so it's a little bit hard to sink into, but once you give yourself over to it, it's just a joy to read. I recommend this work for its richness richness of language and imagery and just pure inventiveness. Zothique, that's uh, with a Z, Z Z-O-T-H-I-Q-U-E, by Clark Ashton Smith, 1970. Um, You probably won't find that volume to read these days, so I would, if you're going to find something now, I'd recommend uh, the collection Empire of the Necromancer. No, it's not Empire. The Return of the Necromancer. I believe that's it. It's kind of a best of Clark Ashton Smith, and that's a great volume to start with. Number three. The Coming of Conan the Sumerian by Robert E. Howard. This book was published in 2002, but the stories uh, date back to 1932 and 1933 primarily. This is probably the best introduction to Conan. It's hard to pick an introduction to Conan because of its complicated publishing history. But this three-volume edition, uh, edited by Patrice Lynette and published by Del Rey, returns the work to their original uh, Howardian purist form uh, and strips out, like a lot of early Howard that was published, a lot of early Conan that was published, was edited and expanded by L. Sprague de Camp and Lynn Carter. And so it's it's not for the purist, but it's also good stuff. So it was hard for me to pick a work of Conan to recommend, recommend to you, but I'm going to say you should start with this one. Uh, it includes some really great stories, The Phoenix on the Sword, The Tower of the Elephant, Queen of the Black Coast, and Black Colossus are four that I, probably the four best stories in the collection. You will find in here a more intelligent Conan than The Big Lummox that's portrayed, portrayed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. So if that's your introduction to Conan, uh, get ready for something quite different. Howard uh, wrote this cycle of stories and conceived of them as belonging to something he called the Hyborian Age, and he wrote a little essay on what the Hyborian Age was. It's a mythic, lost world kind of concept, and uh, it really underpinned a lot of what he did with Conan. Also, Conan's stories, while they jump around in time, are all about his rise to kingship Um, And so some collections try to put them in chronological order. Others present them in publishing order. I suggest you just read them one by one and enjoy them and don't worry too much about it. (laughs) And I recommend these for their raw, original sword and sorcery fantasy. Just great stuff. Um, And, you know, Conan, right? That's a key word in our hobby. Uh, If you've never read a Conan work, it's pretty hard to... um, Call yourself a true fan of fantasy and adventure games. Number four, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. 
1937. How could I not put a Tolkien work in here? I love Tolkien. I realize he's not for everybody. Um, but The Hobbit is probably the most accessible and self-contained of his works. I was tempted to put The Cimmerian in here, but it was published so late, and it's so esoteric, and it's hard to access if you haven't read some of his other works, so I, I really think this is the one. Uh, it is sometimes described as a children's book, but I don't think of it as a children's book. It's his tightest literary construction. Uh, it has focused chapters. It's descriptive and pastoral without overdoing it. Um, it really takes fairy tale creatures and brings them to life and weaves them into a realistic world. I highly recommend, by the way, that if you get a chance to read this one aloud, that you do it. I read it to my kids several times when they were young, and I just loved reading it out loud. It's one of those books that's made well to read out loud. I'll give you a little bit of advice. You need voices for Bilbo, Gandalf, Thorin, Balin, Smog, and Gollum. Those are your big that's your big, what, six characters? Um, don't try to do voices for all of the dwarves. You'll get hopelessly confused. Most of them don't matter that much. They're just kind of bit players. Uh, uh, you know, you might add Bomber to the list. You might add um, Elrond to the list as a voice that would be good to have. But mo And Bjorn. But most of those don't matter for very long. I, I just recommend uh, Bilbo, Gandalf, Thorin, Balin, Smog, and Gollum as the big ones. I just recommend this book for good fun. It is a bit more moralistic than a lot of the fantasy in the list, and it's kind of a homely fantasy, meaning it's got that, I don't know, pastoral, cozy fantasy feel to it. Um, it's a good intro into the world-building wonder that is The Lord of the Rings. And if you want something that's more pure world-building world and in an adult tone, then maybe I'd shove you towards the, the Cimmerian. I feel like that's on the world-building end of the spectrum, and The Hobbit's on the super-accessible fairy tale end of the spectrum, and The Lord of the Rings is kind of the sweet spot in the middle. But um, yeah, if I could just pick one book by Tolkien, it would be The Hobbit, 1937. Number five. The Sword in the Stone, book one of the Once and Future King collection by T.H. White, written in 1938. This is one of the first and best fantasies based on Arthurian legend. It deals with Arthur as a young man, uh, which is not a segment of history or faux history found in Mallory's Le Mort de Arthur. Arthur is tutored by Merlin, who is a wizard who lives backwards through time, <laughs> which is a cool concept. Uh, part of Arthur's training is to be turned into various animals to learn important lessons. T.H. White is an interesting writer. Um, this is not just a work of pure fantasy. It contains a lot of historical details about things like falconry, but without any historical accuracy and with loads of intentional anachronisms. Uh, it is deliberately anachronistic and humorous. It's an affectionate mockery of Le Mort d'Arthur and a commentary on totalitarianism. In that respect, I find it has a lot in common with uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, but I think it's more readable as a fantasy. I don't think that work by Mark Twain is, is much of a fantasy. It's kind of a, a satire faux history novel. So, The Sword in the Stone, or if you will, The Once and Future King by T.H. White. 1938. Number six, The Dying Earth by Jack Vance, 1950. I'll admit that last year um, was the first time that I had read this work. Uh, the Dying Earth is set in a world where the sun is nearing the end of its lifespan. The sky is uh, ranges from pink to deep blue, and the world is filled with strange plants and animals. 
There is a shrinking and decadent population of humans in the world. There are powerful wizards um, who have a small but potent catalog of almost scientific spells, their formulae, um, and there's only so many of them, and so they spend a lot of their life hunting down these spells and memorizing them for their adventures. And so it's a heavy influence on D&D, and in fact, people call the, the magic in D&D often Vancean magic. Uh, there are artificial humans grown by arcane means, there's mythical creatures, there's ancient technologies of obscure origin and dangerous functions. It's just a fantastic work. Um, it's actually a collection of, of, really a collection of short stories, but they were published all together in 1950. And there are, what, four books, I think, in this series, and this is the first one. A very good read. Um, you wouldn't have to read beyond that, but you'll want to. The Dying Earth by Jack Vance, 1950. Number seven. Two Sought Adventure by Fritz Lieber, 1957, um, and the first story in this collection was published in 1939. So this is the very first collection of Fafford and the Grey Mouser stories, published in, as I said, 1957, uh, containing all the stories written before that. This predates um, around the 70s, I think actually starting in 1970, Fritz Lieber took all of his Fafford and the Grey Mouser stories and reorganized them in chronological order and edited them into, um, I think it's a seven-volume set, or at the time it was like a five-volume set, and then he wrote some extra stories to make additional volumes. Uh, this one... You can find it today. It's, it's called Two Sought Adventure, but uh, most of the stories in this one appear in the second volume of that series, that later series, uh, and I think it's called Swords Against Death. But I prefer to read the stories in their publication order. Um, I don't think the first volume where you get the origin stories of Fafford and the Grey Mouser is the best of the books. In fact, uh, the Grey Mouser story, while it's cool, was not actually written to be the origin story of the Grey Mouser. Later, um, Fritz Lieber took that, or Lieber, if you will, took that story that he had written as a different character and retrofitted it for the Mouser. And so it's a little weird, I think. Um, and it also changes the entire motivation of the two characters for at least the first few novels to be uh, trying to find some sort of peace in relation to the death of their first loves of Lana and of Ryan. So if you read uh, Two Against Death as your introduction to Fafford and the Grey Mouser, and I hope you do, just remember that any any reference to Evrain and Vlana in there is added was added later. <laughs> that wasn't there to begin with. Uh, they were just uh, scandalous rogues uh, roaming about the countryside and, and hanging around Lankmar doing funny things and having adventures. Uh, Lankmar, I mentioned the magic word there. This was one of the first city-based fantasies where they really developed a city as a location as opposed to uh, journeying in the wild. And as such, it's a great, it's a great city location. Uh, Liber has lyrical language. I enjoy it quite a bit. It takes a little while to get kind of get into the rhythm of it. He describes combat scenes really well, I think. Um, he, ha he was influenced by Lovecraft. In fact, he wrote a story, kind of a prototype for a Fafford and Grey Mouse story called, uh, I think it's called Adept's Gambit. 
It's something about the adept. Uh, and he sent that to Lovecraft, and Lovecraft wrote back to him and basically said, hey, take out, uh, I don't think this is uh, as strong as a work of horror. Take out the references to the, you know, the mythos, if you will. And but it's But he gave him lots of tips and told him it was a wonderful work of fantasy. That story is, appears in, I think, book three of the collected works, and it, and it takes place in kind of an alternate universe. Um, the characters come from the world of Nuhan, and they have patron wizards, Ningobble and, oh gosh, Shielba, um, and they go through, I think it's Ningobble's cave, and they end up in a basically alternate version of our Earth uh, to have that adventure, and then they go back through. So that's that's Liber trying to make it fit after the fact. Um, but I, I recommend this early one. I went out on eBay one year for Christmas. I had some extra money, and I bought myself an original copy of this book, and it's probably, if I had to grab one physical book off my shelf and run, I would probably grab this one. I don't know if it's the most valuable book I have, but it's the one perhaps that's the most dear to me. So I recommend Two Sawed Adventure by Fritz Lieber from uh, uh, 1957, but uh, also uh, uh, you're going to find it today as uh, Swords Against Death, volume two of the collected works. We're in the home stretch now. Number eight, The Broken Sword by Paul Anderson, 1954. This book was first written in 1954, but it was revised pretty significantly in 1971 and published. I recommend the revised version, and that's unusual for me. I would almost always point you towards original versions, but I think Anderson got rid of some of the more purple prose and cleaned up the story just a little bit for the 1971 edition, and I find that one to be the better read. In fact, it's hard to find the 1954 edition, although I think it's available on Kindle. Uh, The Broken Sword has two protagonists, and you can kind of think of them as evil twins. The first is the son of a king who is stolen by the elves and replaced with a changeling named Valgard. Valgard is made from a troll, and so he has anger issues. The true human son of the king and heir is Scaflock, who is raised by the elves. And both Scaflock and Valgard play a role in this ongoing war between the dark fey elves and their enemies, the angry, ugly trolls. Uh, The book has a lot of Norse themes, even to the point of talking about the encroachment of Christianity and the disappearing of the old world. I recommend it as a dark fantasy rooted in Norse mythology with uh, a more gray morality than most fantasy. It's an amazing work. And when you read The Broken Sword, it's quite a short book too. It's easy to read. Um, you will see the origins of a certain character that appears on my list next. That was uh, The Broken Sword by Paul Anderson, 1954. Number nine, you knew it was coming, Elric of Melnibene by Michael Moorcock. Uh, published in 1972 as really the first uh, full novel of Elric stories, Elric appeared first in a short story called The Dreaming City in 1961 uh, that was published in a little collection called The Stealer of Souls, 1963. Stealer of Souls is also a good introduction to Elric, but the stories jump around in time. Uh, This novel, Elric of Melnibony, really gives you the first chronological story of Elric, and it's a complete uh, story in its own right. So I, I would recommend you start here. It's the most accessible. Elric is the eighth 
uh, or sorry, it's, his name is Elric VIII, the 428th emperor of Melnibene, which is the last island fortress of the elves. It's surrounded by a sea maze and protected by dragons. Just a super cool setting. Lots of amazing imagery. Moorcock is just on fire when he writes this. Elric is an albino elf, if you will. He's physically weak and sustained by drugs and treatments, but he's mentally strong. He has perhaps the best of his dying race. And he sees that his hedonistic, decadent kinsmen are caught up in the past, in the glory days of their imperialism, and he recognizes the strength of the new kingdoms kingdoms of men that are arising beyond uh, their dying world. And I mentioned before that I think I really think that you see the precursor to Moorcock's elves in The Broken Sword by Paul Anderson. Uh, It's a different kind of elf. It's definitely not a Tolkien elf, right? They are, uh, noble's not the right word. I mean, Tolkien's elves are noble and good for the most part and um, kind of above reproach and pure. Uh, Moorcock's elves, and, and for that matter, Paul Anderson's elves are dark and amoral, not good, not bad, amoral. Um, They are above your um, morality. They are um, hard. They're a hard people. (laughs) They are dark and powerful. And I think that's what draws a lot of people to these stories because it's just so amazing. Um, Elric allies himself with a chaos lord out of necessity, which drives a lot of the fiction. I recommend this just for its great imagery, amazing world building, um, and its cool, dark, amoral elves. Elric of Melnibene by Michael Moorcock, one of the most notable fantasy characters in all of fantasy fiction, 1972. And here we have it. Number 10. Before I name it, I want you to ask yourself, what book is missing from this list that you think should be here at number 10 or that I've stepped over along the way? Um, jot it down on a piece of paper and before I tell you what number 10 is and call it in to me later because I want to hear what book you think I missed. Again, it has to be a standalone work, has to be pre-1980, has to be primarily fantasy, can't be a collection of works by multiple authors. Um, yeah. That's that's the basic rules, but I'm sure there's a there's a, a major one out there that I've missed that you want to tell me about. It might be um, King of Elfland's Daughter. It might be uh, something that's kind of proto fantasy, like Alice Adventures in Wonderland or Fantasties by George MacDonald, or even Wonderful Wizard of Oz or The Moon Pool or um, The Worm Ouroboros. Um, Jarell of Jory, Titus Grown by Mervyn Peake, Last Unicorn by Peter Beagle, some, uh, The Watership Down, uh, one of the Narnia books, Chronicles of Amber, which, oh my gosh, I love the Chronicles of Amber, the first series. It killed me not to put one of these in there, but I don't think any one of those books as a standalone is, is, uh, worth including. Uh, Dragon Riders of Pern, I love, Princess Bride, uh, Never Ending Story, you know, so many good choices uh, that I had to leave off. But so I want you to tell me what your what what one book you would insert into this list, and if you wish, uh, you can tell me which book you'd pull out to to make room for it. Okay, here we go. Number ten, the tenth and last book of my list of foundational fantasy novels that I think every adventure gamer should read is A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin, written in nineteen sixty eight. 
Uh, this book is a short coming-of-age story about a young man who lives on a backwater, backwater island. He has great innate magical potential, but uh, has to learn how to control it. It's uh, one of those with great power comes with great responsibility kind of stories. Le Guin is an amazing wordsmith. You will find in many places where you want to highlight the text and memorize it. Um, it is a it, it is an important work, I think, for a lot of reasons. One, it has a non-white protagonist. Not a lot is made of that. And in fact, a lot of the adaptations you see turns the protagonist white. But it's very clear in uh, multiple places within this book and some of the others that the residents of the archipelago or of, of the isles um, in which uh, Ged, the main character, lives are black or coppery-skinned. So there are a range of, of dark-skinned uh, human beings. And just, uh, I think that's awesome. Uh it is. It, it has an interesting and co- coherent magic system that is based on discovering and memorizing the true names of things. So it's different than a lot of magic and fantasy. Um, a wizard spends his life uncovering the hidden true names of people, creatures, and even natural forces like wind and waves in order to evoke them in spells. Uh, but there's a catch. Every action has a reaction. So doing something like filling your sa- sails with a helpful wind might cause a terrible storm else- elsewhere in the world. So so wizards learn to not use their power as much as possible or to use it as subtly as possible or as minimalistically as possible in order to get done what they need. I almost chose the second book in this series, by the way, as the one that I think you should read, The Tombs of Achuan, which is just an amazing book, but I, I couldn't in good conscience pick the second book. I had to pick the first one. They're both great reads, though, and very short, um, and, uh, quick reads. Uh, they just fly right along, and you really will sink into them, I think, when you start reading them. They uh, are recommended by me for their powerful, focused writing and the great, neat magic system. Also, they have really cool dragons. So if you love dragons, you should read A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin, 1968. And that finishes my list of... 10 foundational fantasy novels that I think everyone who loves adventure games should read. If you like this little episode, let me know. I have a bunch of other lists I'd like to do. I'd like to do one of works that are older fantasy. I mentioned a few of them, um, like Alice in Wonderland, like some of the mythical works, uh, you know, Epic of Gilgamesh. I'd like to talk about some of those books. I could talk about books uh, post-80s. I could talk about uh, the 10 foundational science fiction works or horror works. Um, I just love to read and I love to talk about books, but I realize that's not what a lot of people tune into this podcast for. Uh, That though is I feel like if you read one of those books a year for the next 10 years you would be a more well-rounded thinker in terms of fantasy and fantasy gaming and more to the point I think you'd freaking enjoy every single one of these I don't have any reservations about handing any one of these books to anybody and saying this is a good read um I think, the, the, like I said, the most marginal one is the very first one, A Princess of Mars. Uh, but it's still just great, fun fantasy, uh, despite some, like I said, kind of, uh, I don't know, is it, thin plotting, if you will. Uh, but all great reads, all things that heavily influenced Gygax in writing um, 
Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, debatable about Tolkien. I know he wasn't a big Tolkien fan, but there was a lot of people that brought in Tolkien influences later on to Dungeons and Dragons. So they are there, whether whether Gygax intended them to be there or not. Um, he did not specifically mention a Wizard of Earthsea, and I don't know if he read that one before. I don't think he did in Appendix N. I don't know if he read that one beforehand, but I think all of the other authors are ones that he mentioned. I'm going back through. He didn't mention T.H. White, but I, I find it hard to believe that he didn't know about T.H. White. Um, and he doesn't mention Clark Ashton Smith in the Appendix N. Again, I, since he knew about Lovecraft, I find it a little hard to believe he didn't know about Clark Ashton Smith, but maybe he didn't. Some of these works were actually fairly hard to get a hold of back in the 70s. Uh, and many of them haven't even really seen the light of day until more recently. Uh, the recollection of Conan, the um, publishing of a lot of Clark Ashton Smith's work, some of those things were hard to get hold of early on, so uh, they may have been missed by Gygax. And of course, there are things in Appendix N that I did not add in here. So, um, you know, if you want to take issue with any of my list, I would absolutely love to hear you call in and argue with me. Um, and I won't argue back. I just want to hear your opinion. You know, what book would you slip in? What book would you take out? Um, what are your fond memories of reading one of these? What did you learn from these? Which book blew your mind? Tell me about it. I loved, I love to talk books. That's it for this episode. I got to get to bed. I'm on the road. I'm in Washington, D.C. tonight. Traveled all day um, for another work trip. So <laughs> it's given me a good time to podcast. Uh, I've enjoyed it, actually. But it's time for me to get to bed so I can get up and get to work tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Ray Otis signing off. This has been another Plundergrounds. I'd like to thank Logan Howard, who does my theme song at the top of this show, and for all his work in putting theme songs together for other shows, too. He's got some amazing ones out there. He does a really cool zine called Swordbreaker and has a Patreon uh, and podcast, all I think I'm linked by that name. All of his work is quality, just a general good guy um, and very imaginative, so I highly recommend what he's putting out there. Uh, what else to say? Well, you can find links to all my projects, of course, at www.rayotus.com. That's R-A-Y-O-T-U-S. And as I always warn you, look out for those rust monsters. <laughs>